Madison Mogan, Maddie, Kaylee Gonzalez, Zaina Kernodal, Ethan Chapin. We shouldn't know their names. They weren't supposed to be famous, especially not this kind of fame. The kind of fame that comes from a bewildering tragedy, from an act of violence so extreme and seemingly so random that there just isn't any way to make sense of it and forget making peace with it. That's not possible. The man who took those four lives is in a jail cell. He's facing the death penalty. And like other cold-blooded killers before him, he has adoring fans, women who love him, and are convinced that it's their destiny to save him. And make out a small beam of light against the mirror. <laughs> It's been called one of the best small art towns in America. It's also been called one of the best college towns in America. Walkable, friendly, with an award-winning farmer's market and a crime rate 82% lower than the national average. It's the kind of place you might like to live. That kind of place you'd feel good about sending your kid off to for college. It's one of the last places you'd expect to be the site of a grisly, horrifying, quadruple homicide. But on the morning of November 13th, 2022, Moscow, Idaho, joined the ranks of other idyllic corners of American life where the unspeakable has happened. In the pre-dawn hours on that tragic day, four college students were brutally slain inside the home they were renting. The four University of Idaho students found dead in an off-campus house last weekend were stabbed to death in their beds, likely while they were sleeping. That's according to the coroner. Police in Moscow, Idaho, have not identified a suspect or found the murder weapon, but the coroner said it was probably a, quote, pretty large knife. Their loss has been devastating, and they were bright lights in our community and are deeply missed and remain in our thoughts and our prayers. We've been working with Moscow police since we were notified on Sunday of the crime. We've helped with, um, we've helped when asked and continually pushed for information whenever possible. Knowing that we cannot interfere with the important work and good investigations that are, that are occurring. We just want justice for these victims. More than four days since the gruesome murders at a house off campus of the University of Idaho, the town of Moscow remains in shock. The campus is deserted. The murders are still unsolved. This social media video shows two of the victims at a food truck just hours before they died. Today, the county coroner released the cause of death. They were all murdered um, through stabbing with with some kind of a, probably a larger knife. ...as freshman Ethan Champet, his girlfriend, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonzalez, and Madison Mogan. It's being called a crime of passion. The killer or killers used an edged weapon such as a knife. Authorities say a suspect in the brutal killings of four University of Idaho students has been arrested in eastern Pennsylvania. Authorities arrested 28-year-old Brian Christopher Koberger in Pennsylvania today in connection with the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students. 28-year-old Brian Koberger has been held here at the Monroe County Correctional Facility 
facility since his arrest early Friday morning. Now, he is facing four charges of first-degree murder and one count of felony burglary, and he is set to appear before a judge here in Pennsylvania tomorrow afternoon. Prosecutors plan to seek the death penalty against Brian Koberger. The man accused of murdering his daughter and three other students at the University of Idaho. It's a relief. I'm glad that we're in a situation of strength and uh, the evidence is there. And we feel that we can, you know, they can go forward with this. Twenty-eight-year-old Brian Koberger, a former graduate student in criminal justice at Washington State University, is being held without bail at the Lada County Jail in Moscow, Idaho, charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of felony burglary. Koberger has not yet entered a plea in the case. Prosecutors have announced they will seek the death penalty. And as Koberger sits in his cell awaiting trial, he's at the center of two perplexing and bizarre phenomena. One, the adoration and infatuation of female fans. As crazy as that sounds, right? No matter how groomed the dating scene is, surely we can do a little better on Hinge or Bumble than an accused killer. And two, Koberger is an incel, as in involuntarily celibate. Let's start with Koberger's love-struck fans. According to forensic psychologist Dr. Carol Lieberman, the fascination some women have for men who've committed violent and unspeakable acts goes much deeper than physical attraction or misguided sympathy. Lieberman has written numerous articles and books, including the bestseller, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. She's often tapped as an expert witness in criminal trials. She also writes a fascinating column for frontpagedetective.com called Inside the Criminal Mind. It's like an addiction to heartbreak. And it starts, you know, with, as I said, with the father and being heartbroken that you don't feel that your father loves you enough uh, or doesn't find you lovable. And that heartbreak, you get addicted to that and you find um, a a bad boy or two uh, who will repeat. It's Freud's repetition compulsion, meaning that you were um, wounded by something that happened to you in your childhood And you keep on being attracted to that same kind of situation to replay it because you're hoping that it's going to you can make it come out with a happier ending this time. But of course, you know, unless you've gotten therapy in between, you can't make it come out to a happier ending. It's easy to sit and scroll your phone or watch the news and sit in real judgment of the women who send love letters to people like Brian Koberger. It's nothing new. You've seen it over and over again. From Charles Manson to Ted Bundy, Scott Peterson to Stephen Avery, the Menendez brothers, Lyle and Eric, Dylan Roof, Nicholas Cruz, David Berkowitz, Chris Watts, Richard Ramirez, even Jeffrey Dahmer had his cohort of female fans who somehow managed to overlook not only his cannibalism, but his sexuality. Like, girl, that dog don't hunt. Dr. Soman Das, a forensic psychologist based in London, shares Lieberman's view and says that a history of trauma can be the driver of this most peculiar fixation. He said, These women have either been physically, sexually, or emotionally abused. 
they tend to gravitate towards what's familiar instead of what's safe. We see this phenomenon in victims of abuse. And while it may seem to make no sense for a woman who's experienced trauma and abuse to seek out a violent partner, Dr. Doss suggests that these kinds of relationships actually feel safe. The object of their affection, however horrific as crimes, is tucked away behind bars. According to Dr. Doss, this gives these women control of the relationship, an experience that is both new and empowering. And if we're honest, doesn't the idea of rescuing a lost soul, of being the hero of that story, have an incredibly magnetic pull? For some people, anyway? There is a big pull of the wounded. You know, we we see, um, women see bad boys as um, wounded, you know, these poor little wounded birds. And um, and so we want to, it brings out sort of a, a maternal or nurturing kind of part of our personality. But yes, there are degrees of that. You know, I've been watching, <laughs> I'm talking about, uh, I've been watching the Netflix of um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm. And did you ever see that? Yes, yes. Paul Dahmer. Um, and I think I'm on, I think I've seen four of the 10 so far. And it is so amazing. They, it's a, they've really done a, an excellent job. And um, it is so amazing how, even though you know, before you, before you watch one minute of it, you know the horrible things that he did, right? Killed all these guys and, and ate some of them. And, and, you know, he was just brutal and horrible and, and uh, had no remorse. Um, so you know all that. Well, actually, he, in the movie, in the movie, in this, um, well, it is a movie. Um, in this dramatization, he did have some remorse. But in any case, you, when you see the childhood that he had, um, it's like you can't help in a way be drawn into thinking, well, you know, the poor boy, his mother was crazy and, um, and a drug addict. And um, she left him alone when he was uh, 17 because his parents got divorced and his mother just took off and his father didn't even know that she had taken off. And um, she was, he was left alone in this house and you kind of, um, and then you see different things that happened to him and all that. And you can't help but feel sorry for him, even though, you know, he, he um, perpetrated all these horrible crimes. And um, so, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that that's, bad i mean in in a sense can you really we're human and so we can feel for people who have um tragedies happen to them and then they end up going down the wrong path you can go back a long way notorious names like john dillinger and al capone and you'll find they had worshipful pen pals while they did time in the penitentiary but social media has changed the game in a big way. There are over 16,000 members of the Justice for Brian Koberger group on Facebook. And that's just one of many fan pages on the site. Reddit shut down the Brian Koberger's Girls subreddit for violation of their moderator code of conduct. While that particular subreddit didn't boast an enormous membership, it made up for that by being an extra creepy parade of fangirling and weird quasi-religious shrine building in Koberger's honor. One Kentucky woman in particular, Brittany, well, 
I don't want to use her last name. You can easily find it in a Google search. It's not like there's any way to protect her privacy at this point. It's just in my other life, I'm a social worker. I have compassion for Brittany and others like her. She's committed no crime in crushing on Koberger. Yeah, it's gross and inexplicable. But the woman needs help, not a dog pile from the true crime industrial complex, no matter how well-intentioned. I hope that makes sense. So we have decided to withhold her name from this podcast for what little that's even worth. Social media gives people like Brittany something the old prison pen pal situation couldn't. A public forum in which to both express her feelings for Koberger and to advocate for either his innocence or the damage done to him by society. It becomes a crusade as much as a crush. And what's more intoxicating than a righteous crusade? And what better place to recruit fellow crusaders than Facebook? Unfortunately, social media cuts both ways, and people like Brittany can be instantly and loudly condemned. Not surprisingly, that's how it's played out for her. Um, it certainly has made it easier for these people to be vilified. Um, because, you know, people did write on her Facebook all kinds of mean things like, um, but, you know, when people don't understand something, they're too ready to vilify it. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not endorsing it, but, but, you know, yeah, I, I felt sorry for her. In fact, in what I wrote for Newsweek, I wrote about how she should get therapy so that she could then uh, understand how to make more satisfying relationships in real life, you know, with a with a real boy, a real life boy, not not Pinocchio, right? Um, I mean, oh, social media. There are some really good things about it, but yes, it really kind of messes with our heads in a lot of ways. I mean, um, not just in terms of of falling in love with men in prison, but just, uh, you know, people who, for example, put doctor their photos and stuff like that, giving everybody a, um, an erroneous sense of, of what is really attainable and uh, making people feel bad about themselves and all of that. Um, so, yes, and yes, also in terms of connecting, not, not necessarily to somebody in jail or prison, they aren't usually allowed to go on social media. Gossip is a hardwired human behavior, and long before social media, we had other gathering places to swap stories, share news, and weigh in on the choices our neighbors were making. But social media has a way of lending credibility to even the most outlandish takes, because we tend to believe what we see in here. And if we see and hear it often enough, it can develop the patina of truth. After all, wasn't it in our newsfeed? And let's get real and admit that most of us spend very little time fact-checking and researching. Our lives are a nearly overwhelming cacophony of noise and pressure. It's hard just keeping up with all of it. <laughs> what a time to be alive, am I right? But here we are, casually scrolling Facebook or Twitter... I guess they call it X now, maybe liking a post about puppies. And there's a photo of Brian Koberger being described as the divine masculine, along with what seems an entire community of people elevating the man to some sort of celebrity, if not godlike status. There they are banging on about a conspiracy on the part of the deep state or whatever to convict him of a gruesome crime he couldn't possibly have committed. And listen, the rhetoric goes 
way beyond innocent until proven guilty, way beyond it into territory more convoluted than the plot of the movie Inception. It makes your head hurt. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Um, it has to do with, um, yes, and you're not talking about, uh, these are these are people, men and women, mm-hmm. who um, who have elevated him and who want to say that he's not guilty. And poor Brian Koberger, you know, he's being railroaded and all of that. Um, and it's not it's not just or it's not primarily it's it's not about women falling in love with him. It's about um, people really saying that um, trying to say that he's innocent. Now, these are the people who have had their own experiences where they have been the little guy, you know, David and Goliath. They can identify with that feeling of being railroaded, the feeling of the whole world's against you. Um they might have even had friends or family members or themselves uh, gotten in trouble with the law, even if it's just a small jaywalking or something. Um, and they know that feeling of, of the whole big world is against you and so on. So they, they're, they're trying to root for the little guy. And um, but it's gotten it's blown up, you know, because this case is taking so long. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's understandable and it's uh, reasonable. Uh, he's facing the death penalty, so he should have as long as necessary to try to defend himself. But um, in the meantime, all these groups that you're talking about have been proliferating. And it's really, you know, gone, gotten out of control in some because there's so much on, on social media, not just Facebook, but like like on Twitter or, um, you know, where people are posting things that they claim show that he's innocent you know, this is evidence, evidence that he is innocent because such and such, you know, they come up with all these things which really aren't uh, accurate, um, but they're they're spreading this information that isn't accurate to try to defend him. There's something else about Brian Koberger, something that feels uniquely of this moment in time, although there's nothing new about the phenomenon of a male unable or unwilling to find a mate. There is a new word for it, though, and a fresh rage that has found what looks like its perfect match in social media. Uh, what's so interesting also, you know, I happen to be the first person. <laughs> I'm so proud of this because people have been copying me and <laughs> pretending that they that they knew it all along. But anyway, um, at least I have it in print. So going back to good old Newsweek, uh, there was an article in Newsweek where I said this before Brian Koberger was even arrested that um that he was an incel and um that meeting which means involuntary celibate a man who um has been rejected all his life by women um he who he wanted to date who he wanted to have sex with um and he has built up because of these rejections he has built up uh, a rage towards women. Now, the reason why I was able to say this, you know, I'm a forensic psychiatrist, so I know about these things. But the reason why I was able to say this right from the get-go was because um, of two things. One, because of how bloody and and um, vicious the scene was. These four people were torn to shreds. And uh, not just, you know, because one of the fathers asked um, 
I think someone who did the autopsy or knew about the autopsy, you know, how many stab wounds did my daughter get? And the person said it isn't about stab wounds, like they were they were shredded. I mean, they, they might have they might have said it a little more delicately, but that was the gist of it. And so, and there were four of them, four victims. And so, anybody who could do that had to have had a lot of rage. And um, and so, um, so I knew that. Th- and the second part of it is who the victims were. They were these three beautiful, popular uh, girls, and then the boyfriend of one of the girls. Now, incels have a term for these kinds of girls who are beautiful and smart and popular. These girls were in for sororities and all that. Unattainable. The girls who would never go out with an incel. They call them Stacys. And um, the guys who are boyfriends of Stacy's, they call Chad's. So the killer um, were was killing them. And it's so funny because uh, Brian Koberger had said to someone after the crimes, he said, oh, I think it was a crime of passion. And he was right. It was a crime of passion. You know, he was passionate about how how enraged he was that these girls, we don't know for sure that he ever spoke to them. We know he followed them. Um, at least some of them, um, but but the passion was, you know, how angry, how enraged he was towards them for not. He knew that they wouldn't have given him the time of day. So, um, so it's kind of ironic that now that he allegedly did this crime, uh, he is getting these love letters and so on. And plus, uh, now the the girl who rejected him. Um, in in middle school was this girl named Kim who um, looked like Barbie, <laughs> you know, blonde and attractive and so on, and who looks like um, Kaylee uh, and Maddie. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's a coincidence that he killed somebody who looked like the first girlfriend or the first girl who rejected him. And he was rejected all through high school. He was rejected at this bar as an adult, more of a, you know, more recently um, at this bar that he used to go to in Pennsylvania and so on. Um, so he has a lot of, of fuel for his rage. And, um, and it's just kind of ironic that only now after he allegedly did this, he's getting other women to um, who he m- might want to who he would have wanted to go out with in real life, you know, if they, and they probably wouldn't have given him the time of day in real life. The incel. Good grief. Involuntarily celibate. As though getting laid is some sort of birthright. Excuse me if I find the whole thing exhausting and terrifying in equal measure. We have another mass killer, Elliot Rogers, to thank for mainstreaming the term. Rogers killed six people and injured dozens more in a spree attack in Isla Vista, California in 2014. Rogers took his own life after committing the crimes. Police found him inside his vehicle dead of a self-inflicted gunshot to the head. But Rogers left behind two artifacts, a 107,000-word written manifesto and a video he'd posted to YouTube. In that video, Rogers stated... For the last eight years of my life, ever since I hit puberty, 
I've been forced to endure an existence of loneliness, rejection, and unfulfilled desires, all because girls have never been attracted to me. Girls gave their affection and sex and love to other men, but never to me. I'm 22 years old and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. I've been through college for two and a half years, more than that actually, and I'm still a virgin. It's been very torturous. College is a time when everyone experiences those things, such as sex and fun and pleasure. Within those years, I've had to rot in loneliness. It's not fair. You girls have never been attracted to me. I don't know why you girls aren't attracted to me, but I will punish you all for it. It's an injustice, a crime, because I, I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy, and yet you throw yourselves at these obnoxious men instead of me, the supreme gentleman. Hey, before you think, well, he was just crazy, the law enforcement community, both here in the U.S. and around the world, saw a far more troubling pattern at work than just the maladjustment of one individual. In February 2020, the International Center for Counterterrorism at The Hague called Roger's crimes an act of misogynistic terrorism. It was labeled misogynistic extremism by the U.S. Secret Service. Anyone spending any time on some of the social media sites, though, might just call it Tuesday. That's how rampant and common the rhetoric and hateful ideology of the incel has become on social media. So what is it about this current moment that has proved to be such fertile ground for an ideology like this to take root? An ideology that has all the same markers as any extremist movement, in-groups and out-groups, crisis and solution strategies. Why are we here? Why now? Well, um, for one thing, uh, social media, you know, there are these chat groups on social media um, for these men to air their grievances uh, during which they egg each other on. You know, um, they, they, they side with each other and they say, talk about all these horrible things that they would like to do to these women who rejected them. And the others in this chat group go along and say, yeah, you know, yeah, you should do that. And I were to do that. I would do that if someone did that to me, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just wrote a column on um, call it saying it was twin incels, um, Brian Koberger and the Unabomber. The Unabomber was an incel. I mean, we didn't have that term or the term wasn't popular in any case at the time of the Unabomber. Um, so he wasn't, you know, called that in, in popular media. But really looking at his history, he didn't have a girlfriend. Um, he didn't have sex with any women. Um, he, there, was a, there was one woman who he went on a few dates with who kissed him and then she didn't she stopped she rejected him too she said she didn't want to go out with him anymore it might surprise you to hear dr lieberman describe ted kaczynski the unabomber as an incel but all of the signs were right there in plain sight no relationship history with women no sexual history we just didn't have the word incel in april 1996 when kaczynski was arrested by the fbi 
It took Elliot Rogers to make the term commonplace. Elliot Roger has become like um, a particularly famous incel. And, um, you know, he's like, they look up to, like on chat rooms, other incels look up to him. And, um, you know, these pe- people, these men, it's, they, they, there is something sort of awkward about them, all of them. And which is why the women start to reject them. You know, it's not just that they aren't like, uh, they don't look like Brad Pitt, you know, it's that, uh, I mean, not all of them are ugly. Uh, certainly Elliot Roger wasn't ugly. Um, and, but there's something, some awkwardness that, um, that turns women off. And, and the thing is that once they start getting rejected by women, it, they become, they project this awkwardness, this shyness, this feeling like, no, you're right. I'm not good enough. Uh, feeling out went to women um, because they expect to be rejected again. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, um, Brian Koberger, uh, you know, he's written, we think he's written on, on oh, for years that he's been writing on social media. And there was something more recently, I mean, um, around the time or within within the year, let's say, of this um, of the Idaho four killing, um, he wrote a on a on a um, on a social media forum, um, a regular social, not a not an incel one that we, that we know of um, yet, but on a regular social media forum, he called himself um, Papa Rogers, and um, and so that was a big clue. People sort of missed that, but that was a bit. He was giving that away. You know, saying that he identifies with Elliot Rogers. But as you know, not every woman with daddy issues or a complicated childhood becomes fixated on violent perpetrators. Not every man who experiences rejection early in his dating career becomes an incel. Clearly, there are multiple other factors at play, right? And in the case of accused killer Brian Koberger, there are still unknowns some of which will probably come out during his trial, especially anything that the defense could argue as a mitigating factor. What kind of childhood he had uh, in terms of what his mother was like to him, what his father was like to him, what his sisters were like to him. Um, I'm waiting for that. You know, I can't wait to sort of dissect that. Um, But clearly there were problems in that home. Uh, We know that the father filed for bankruptcy twice um and he had he had jobs but so it's unclear what he was spending his money on like why um why they went into bankruptcy um his his it's into his sisters uh, are now one of them was an actress but they both are now involved in some kind of a um one is a psychologist or a, they're they're both mental health professionals uh of a certain degree and um, so it's hard. I mean, the only thing that we he was in high school and I guess in junior high school, too. He was fat. He was pudgy. Um, actually, <laughs> he might have been pudgy in junior high school, but then he became fat. And then um, between his junior and senior year, he lost a ton of weight and he was um, he was exercising. And uh, also he was using um, drugs. But uh, so he lost weight by his senior year. 
Um, of course, then he was a, a drug addict. But um, so clearly, you know, his getting into drugs or his, even his being obese, uh, that shows something. You know, was he sexually abused by his father, for example? Um, you know, people, kids who are sexually abused um, do often become overweight. It's a way of not just kids, actually, people, you know, even women who uh, are raped become overweight because unconsciously it's a way of protecting themselves from attack from the outside world, you know, trying to put that layer of protection around them. Dr. Lieberman and I talked about the anger that drives the incel ideology, that drives the whole angry man phenomenon we're seeing everywhere on social media. So much of the discourse around race, gender, inequality, the economy even, is laced with vitriol and fury, so much of it aimed at women. Lieberman sees it as a backlash, maybe an inevitable backlash against feminism and the Me Too movement. But she also sees men like Koberger as thinking mostly on a very personal level, ruminating on their own perceived slights and injustices, what they're owed and what they've been denied. In the case of the incel, the grievances are always aimed squarely at women. And let me just say, speaking as a woman, you do know that we're human beings, right? We're not commodities. We're not public utilities that you're entitled to access. But then, I guess maybe you don't know that. Or you don't want to know that. That's probably more like it. Like I said, what a time to be alive. Anyway, believe it or not, the whole incel ideology is soaked through and through with nostalgia. Incels at their core pine for some idyllic former time when men were men and Women had few options beyond marrying young and remaining in those marriages no matter what. In that bygone fantasy world, all men were entitled to sex. Women couldn't refuse. And looks and status were options, not necessities, in the game of landing a mate. I don't know that the men who are incels are thinking really on a societal scale. They're just thinking they want to get laid, you know? Um... I mean, certainly they're affected by, I mean, women, they're affected by how women have changed and how perhaps women wouldn't have been as cruel to them, rejected them as cruelly as they do today. But, I, you know, I, I don't think that they're looking at it necessarily as where it comes from, as the cultural changes. But yes, all of these cultural changes do play a part. Now, getting back to the women who idealize these broken boys, these misunderstood men, you might be tempted to think, well, we're all so disconnected now, addicted to screens, choosing to scroll our phones at home rather than getting out there in the world and meeting people face to face. No wonder lonely, vulnerable women like Brittany are drawn to guys like Koberger. But no, human beings have always wrestled with loneliness and alienation, though it's fair to say that COVID served all of us up a supersized dose of both. Now throw in social media, a site like Instagram where you can lose hours scrolling through images of the carefully curated lives of strangers. 
and Koberger spent a lot of time on Instagram. He followed all three of his female victims, repeatedly sliding into Maddie's DMs. She ignored the messages. Having men you've never met messaging, hello pretty, hello beautiful, hello my dear, is a common experience on Instagram. And ignoring it is what you're supposed to do, right? Ignore it and he'll just go away? Not this time. Former FBI investigator Peter Yachmetz told the New York Post back in January of this year that Koberger may have been trying to assert some dominance when he allegedly stabbed Maddie, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan. The nature of the crime suggests to Yachmetz not just rage, but an uncomfortable anger. Anger born of Koberger's long history of being socially awkward, a person who struggled and failed to fit in. Dr. Lieberman also pointed to evidence that Koberger returned to the scene of the crime just hours after the four students were slain. She said, quote, Incels like to be known for when they kill people or when they have a conquest like this. On the one hand, he wanted to commit the perfect crime and not be caught. But on the other hand, he did want to be caught and be proud, in a sense, of what he did. End quote. Four college students gone. Four families wrecked by this brutal, unthinkable loss. The word senseless gets thrown around a lot. But here it fits, because nothing here makes any sense. As of now, Koberger's trial is set to begin on October 2nd, 2023. Since Koberger elected to enter no plea at his arraignment, a not guilty plea was entered on his behalf. And since this is a death penalty case, it's anticipated that the October 2nd date is really only a placeholder. The actual trial is likely to be delayed. Think of the evidence that has to be processed. Everything from cell phone data to forensics and DNA. And then there's always the possibility of a plea agreement being reached. In this case, a plea of guilty in exchange for the death penalty taken off the table. Though people close to the case say that this is the least likely of all possible scenarios. Regardless of the outcome of the trial, the devastating truth is that even justice for the victims and their families brings neither comfort nor closure. It's valuable, it's necessary, but it isn't a magical balm for grief. No legal process can bring back Kaylee or Zana or Maddie or Ethan. No verdict can ever make sense of Koberger's motives or actions. We'll never understand who he is or why he is. He'll join a long list of perpetrators whose actions make us question not just the individual, but all people. Are we broken? How many other Koburgers do we pass every day in the grocery store or on the subway, in the hallways at school or at work? How many people in our own orbit are there who are functioning while inside some rage, some sharp, poisonous grievance seethes and seethes until it finds release in fury and chaos and violence. Just as Brittany isn't the first woman who thinks her love can redeem a killer, Koberger isn't the first incel to consummate his obsession with blood and death. As the case goes forward, there will be a lot of questions about who Brian Koberger is. 
But I think the better question is why Brian Koberger is. Because if we don't start dealing with that, we're going to hear a lot more stories like this. Next time on True Weird Stuff. A child knocks on your door asking for help. And of course, you want to help. Who wouldn't? But before you open the door, make sure that child is really a child. It's all in the eyes. We really appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, and review True Weird Stuff. Hit our website, trueweirdstuff.com, for show notes and photos and videos when we have it and bonus content. Everything True Weird is waiting for you at trueweirdstuff.com. And follow True Weird Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. True Weird Stuff is a now media production. Our executive producer is Anthony Garcia. The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlin. True weird original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Zane Nash. Copyright 2023, Now Media, all rights reserved, all wrongs remembered. Special thanks to Carol Lieberman for joining us on this episode. To learn more about her work or to buy her books, because let's be real, if you buy her books on Amazon, you're helping Jeff Bezos plan his next trip to space because that's where all the money goes, while the authors of those books are lucky to see a whole nickel. So buy the books from the author's website. Lieberman's website is www.drcarol.com. That's D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E dot com.